If you follow professional football at all, the name Kurt Warner will be one that you're familiar with. He was a quarterback in the NFL and a fantastic one. Kurt led the St. Louis Rams to a Super Bowl victory, and he won a couple of MVP awards. And being the most valuable player was an incredible honor for him. But there is a backstory to Kurt Warner. You have to go a little bit further than that. It's just come out in a movie. Maybe you've already been to see it. I may steal a little bit of the thunder if you haven't been, but it'll still be worth a look. Kurt met up with a lovely lady named Brenda. He was absolutely captured with her. He wasn't married, and he was looking for somebody that would be his wife. And so they got together, and then they started dating a little bit, and she said to him, there's several things you're going to have to know about me. Number one, I am a very deeply committed Christian. And every date we go on, we will be talking about Jesus and faith. Kurt had grown up going to Catholic school, and he said he never really had embraced Christ as his personal Savior. As a matter of fact, he really didn't even know what all that meant. But he was intrigued. And then she said, another thing you need to know is I have a past. I was married. I have a couple of children. Now, if you can still deal with all of that, we can continue on in our relationship. He said, I'm intrigued still. I want to go ahead and stay with it. He would watch Brenda in her life. A tornado ripped through the community where her parents lived. It killed her mom and dad. She went through the myriad of emotions most of us would go through. How could this be? Why would it be my family? God, how dare you? All of the myriad of emotions, natural for anyone to go through, even Christians, you and me. And in this whole situation, realizing all that was going on, there was something that she did that stood out. It stood out very much to Kurt. He said, I saw her, even though she went through that myriad of questions, all of those emotions, lost her folks to the tornado, she never lost her focus on Almighty God. And he said, now I want that. How would he know if he ever had it? Kurt was working at a grocery store then. They got married. He went on into the NFL. Trent Green, the lead quarterback for the Rams, got injured. I followed them. I know. Kurt was just shoved on into the starting role. Incredible talent. Now was going to be on display for everyone. Going from stocking shelves in a grocery store to being a quarterback in the NFL. What do you think of that? Pretty epic. Led the Rams to a couple of Super Bowls. They won one. Two MVP awards. Two years after that, though they had been with Dick Vermeil, Tory Holt, all of the other people, Marshall Falk, Reverend Ike, very Christian team, really. Though they had been to the pinnacle, two years later, he got released by the Rams. He found out he had what Brenda had. 
when a storm came into his life and rocked his world. And he was no longer able to experience life as he had previously experienced. The apex, the pinnacle. He still maintained his faith that was new and developing. And he and his wife attended the church in Lake St. Louis, not far from where we lived. And he let his light shine and continues to, even to this day. Over the last two years, we've gone through a pandemic. We're entering year number three. This is absolutely crazy. I say it. It's mind-numbing. It's almost more than we can take. I believe that God is with us and God is for us and God is in us. God is above us and God is beside us. He is behind us. He is all around and he will make a way where we do not understand there could even be a way. He has answers and solutions when we don't. When we come into this passage that Pastor Melanie read a minute ago, we see that the disciples and all of the people, <clears throat> they experience life with Jesus. Then they have an opportunity to do what he asked them to do, or they could ignore what he asked them to do. The thing is, they did what he asked them to do. And even though a storm hit, when the storm hit, Jesus knew where they were because they were following what he asked them to do. And you and I don't have to agree like Brenda did not agree. We don't always have to get excited about what's going on in our life. But as we move through our life, we continue to follow after the one who has set the sail and said, I will carry you through. And he knows where you are and he knows the way that you take today. And he is more than able to minister into your life. There are three things I want to look at as we come to this passage today. We have looked at this passage before. I'm being reminded of it. I want you to be reminded of it. I felt drawn to it that God would help us today. There are three things we want to look at about the disciples in the storm that show us how to face our storms of today and tomorrow with hope. He can help us with hope. Notice that the disciples were followers of Christ. In verse 22 through 24 and 30, the disciples did as Jesus asked them to do. They got into a boat to go to the Sea of Galilee. They had been on the shore area. Now Jesus says to them, get in a boat and go to the other side. If you have been to the Sea of Galilee, it is several miles long. It is several miles wide. It's hardly a sea in the sense of magnanimous, yet it is called a sea. But it is several miles wide, several miles long. I've been on it a couple of times. Beautiful place. Jesus did most of his ministry around that area. And as he did a lot of his ministry there, he was doing some, and he is just finishing up with a bunch of people. And he says to the disciples, get in a boat and go to the other side. Do you know the original language of this indicates to us that the disciples did not want to get into the boat? They did not want to do what Jesus was asking them to do? Some of them were fishermen and may have had an idea about what the weather forecast was. You and I will not always agree with what God allows us to experience or wants us to do. Did you know that? <laughs> if you've lived long enough, you've experienced some stuff where you've disagreed vehemently with God. When my father died, I disagreed with God, yet I surrendered to the will that he had and the plan that was unfolding. We surrender ourselves sometimes to the mysterious will of God, the uncomfortable will of God. And they did that in this moment. And you and I are called to do the same thing. Brenda Warner did not like what was happening with her parents, but she had to deal with it. And they began on their midnight ride across the Sea of Galilee. And as they're on their midnight ride across the Sea of Galilee, they get out somewhere uh, about halfway. 
and things begin to go crazy. And we know they don't all have a deep understanding of Christ. Maybe you don't have a deep understanding of Christ. Maybe you haven't read your Bible much. Maybe you didn't attend church much. Maybe you don't know much about him, don't have a deep relationship with him. You kind of are where the disciples were at this point. Peter would deny Jesus a little bit later when a really pivotal moment would come. I read about it this morning in the wee hours of the night again in the Gospels about where Jesus would be betrayed by Peter, denied. And we also know that Judas would betray Jesus. And we know that Philip would question Jesus and he would doubt Jesus. Maybe you find yourself like that. They're in the boat following what the Lord has said but they're not really sure of the gravity of his, of his veracity, of who he is and what he has said to them. Yet, in verse 33 of our passage, look at it. It says that they know him to be the Son of God. This is incredible. So even if you don't know everything about him, it's okay. Just know that he is the Son of God and his way is right. His way is perfect, even when we don't understand it. And so Jesus has sent the disciples on their way. And verse 22 says, he has sent the crowd home. They've all gone home now. Stomach's full. Miracles have happened. Teaching has happened. It's been a great time. And they've gone on their way. And I've been to that area where that teaching happened. As a matter of fact, I got to lead a devotional there. It was a privilege and a powerful moment when we were able to spend time there in this area. And we know that Jesus now, in verse 23, is alone. Do you know Jesus had a lot of stress? a lot of stress and distress. Do you ever think about that? He's a holy son of God. He says in Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53, I have a baptism to undergo. I have a judgment to express. I have a fire to experience. And he says, how I am distressed until that be accomplished. How it is in my mind, in the back of my mind, I can't get it out. How it is always there in my thoughts. So even though he does a miracle, even though he will walk on water and all of that, he still has in the back of his thinking the future, which is the cross, the denial, the betrayal, the beating, all that he's going to experience, the death as he had died there for your sins and mine. It's a riveting thought about Jesus. He knows Herod knows who he is. He knows John the Baptist. Earlier in this same chapter, it's recorded has been beheaded. John was his cousin. We just celebrated at Christmas time about Elizabeth being pregnant. Well, the bookends of John's life, Elizabeth was pregnant. Now John is beheaded. He is a forerunner of Jesus Christ, prophesied by Isaiah. This is a powerful passage here. And so Jesus knows that, and he knows the surety of his own death. He would pray, not my will, your will be done. Let this cup pass from me. And he would go ahead and still experience a cross. Jesus was physically and emotionally drained. And the religious people in his community, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they did not like Jesus. He upset them. <clears throat> the disciples did not fully understand him. And the crowd seemed to be following him mostly for the miracles and the loaves and the fishes. Jesus left that he might nourish and strengthen his soul. And along about 4.15 this morning, I was up doing the same thing praying that the Lord would nourish my soul and reading through several chapters of the scripture that the Lord might feed me in my spirit before I would come and stand before you on this morning. And he has done that. The disciples aren't comfortable with what Jesus said, but they said, Lord, we'll follow you. There have been some times whenever Pam and I have gone to some places, I've sat second chair where Pastor Justin is, and, and I knew I had first chair qualities like he does. But I assume my role. 
I've been on a team like Pastor Scott, where I've set up small groups. I've helped carry the pastor's load. I made visits that the pastor wasn't able to make. I've been in these various roles wherever God would lead me, knowing that he had something different eventually. But I knew that God's plan was perfect, and I followed him. We went to some places where it was very uncomfortable, where we did not have any fun at all. Yet we did what God asked us to do while we were there and tried to be good soldiers about it. And I want to say to you that God will be with you even if you're in a season right now that you don't fully understand. You might not fully embrace. Our Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All you have to do is follow is a song we used to sing as I was a kid. And it's really true. All we have to do is follow him. We don't need to understand, but we need to continue on in the way that he would have us go. Rick Warren, great minister out west, he said this week in an interview, he said that it seems like most people hit their stress meter pegged about two hours into their day right now. And so we wanted to give encouragement to you. Last week's message, this week's message, next week's message, designed to lift your spirit, designed to strengthen your soul, designed to give you hope and encouragement on the path that we're all taking right now. Someone said to me one time during the pandemic early on, how in the world are you speaking just like you're living in my living room? I said, because I'm living in my living room (laughs) and I know what it's like to live in a living room of life. And so we understand it. And so I want to notice something else. In verse 24 through 30, notice the disciples experienced a major storm. They're doing what the Lord wants them to do. You'd think it would be peaches and cream or that it would be shufah pie, or it'd be something like this that they could experience and enjoy. But it wasn't going to be that, was it? They're experiencing something that's going to be a challenge to them, even devastating to them, not fun, not interesting, not something that they want. Storms come out of nowhere. When you look at the terrain over there, and I have studied it before I ever went in class, but I got to see it living, you have the desert elevations, and it will send straight winds. It will end up creating a churn once they hit the dip into the Sea of Galilee, and the terrain drops down to the sea into Tiberias and all around that area. And so here it comes down, and now it creates a churn, and it can hit out of nowhere and create a windstorm. And that's what happens here. A boisterous storm came out of nowhere, and it could be at the doctor's office. It could be a text. It could be a phone call. It could be a knock at the door. It could just be some accident you experience right there where you are. Doing life, they invented that word accident for a moment like that. And that's what it was. These storms bring fear to us. They bring stress to us. They bring distress to us. And they create uncomfortable realities that every one of us are going to experience from time to time. And we have the opportunity to respond and choose our response because we cannot always control the way the wind blows, but we can determine the way we set our sail in our marriage, in raising our kids, in helping out other people. This week, I spent some time with someone who has had two very close relatives in the prime of their life, in high-functioning roles and capacity, die of COVID. And as I spent time talking with them, they said, I just don't understand God. And I'm having trouble with this whole thing. And I said, you know what? You're safe going to God with your questions. You're safe going into his presence and asking him, Jesus on the cross. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jack Hayford in one of his writings said it this way. He said, give your toughest questions to God. He can handle them. And I've given my toughest questions to God. I invite you to do the same thing. Follow Jesus' example and these disciples as they're out here. 
We've all heard in the news fires that have happened around us. And over the last few weeks, they've been very devastating, haven't they? Perhaps none more devastating than the one that landed in New York. The high rise. And the firemen rushed into that building anyway. Some of them with their air canisters emptying out. They pressed on up stairwells. When something as simple as a heater that most of us would have in our homes ended up creating a fire that killed so many people and created so much turmoil and chaos. It was just a little thing that started that. And I hope we're all careful with these things and have our smoke alarms working because we want to see you here again next week. But sometimes our storms come in different ways. Tom Holland is an actor. He was a kid. And as a kid growing up, he suffered from dyslexia. And he was very much bullied by those around him. But he ended up working with it and deciding to embrace what was going on in his life. And some of you have something you prayed would be delivered from you, and it hasn't been. And you have to make a decision. Will you stay behind the roadblock? Or will you allow yourself to navigate around it and move on? He moved on beyond that. And he became a real actor, Spider-Man. And he has moved on from being a kid that was bullied around to somewhere between 15 and 18 million, if you go online, which I did this week and look it up, that he is worth now. At least that's what they've paid him. And that's what he's been able to get because he has taken on the role and said, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And some of us need to go ahead and realize our reality may not be comfortable. But we have the decision, am I going to make it or not? And some may have problems with your brain not working like you want it to. Or the chemicals in your body not responding how you want to. And you end up having these mood swings you cannot really control as well on your own. And you suffer from a broken mind. And it's very painful. And it's very real. And it's not necessarily a spiritual thing. It is a physical thing. But it bleeds over into every area of our life, doesn't it? And don't listen to somebody who tries to out-spiritualize himself and tell you if you had enough faith, it would be healed. Jesus would say to us, I want this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And there are some things the Apostle Paul, the most saintly of the New Testament apostles, said it this way. I prayed three times that my thorn would be removed. Nevertheless, it was not removed. And I realized I was going to glorify God through the brokenness of my situation. And whatever his situation was is not defined for us in the original language. So all of us can put ourselves into the biblical account and realize that we can join with the Apostle Paul and say, therefore I will glory in my infirmity, for when I am weak, you are strong. God, I don't know how to handle all of this, but I commit my way to you. I submit myself to you. Kev, that is stinking good preaching, baby. Keep going, because somebody in the house needs that. Can I get a witness somewhere? <clears throat> The disciples encountered a problem. I'm not just preaching from a passage, but I'm delivering a passage. So look at your scripture. In verse, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 24 and 30, there's a boisterous wind. We've already talked about it. Look at verse 24. They're about three and a half miles out. That's the midst of the sea. That's where they are. It's rough sailing. It's rough rowing. They don't know what's going on. There could be some lightning involved in this storm. We don't know all about it. But it's somewhere in the fourth watch of the night, your Bible says, in verse 25. The fourth watch of the night, you know when that is, right? That's between 3 and 6 in the morning. That's before the sun comes up, but the sun is on its way. 
So at some point, the sun starts peeking out somewhere. So it's saying, hello, good morning. And they see something walking on the water. Jesus has just finished praying. Now he is going to walk across the Sea of Galilee. I would love to see that on Heaven's video. He is cruising across, walking across that water. And as he's walking across that water, they see him. They are absolutely confused by what they see. They think, your scripture says, that he is a ghost. They do not have a clear vision of Christ. And I've said it, but I echo it. You may not have a clear vision of Christ. Your understanding of him may be that he's supposed to always do everything you ask him to do. He's like a grandpa. Hmm, I got that practice this weekend. <laughs> he's like a grandpa that's supposed to give you the candy. <clears throat> Never supposed to say no to your wishes and whims. But that is not his way. His ways are not our ways, the Bible says. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's hard to understand. Some things are a mystery. Dave Holdren, when he was here, Dr. Holdren, he said to us, there are some things we have to put in the mystery bag of life, and we can ask God the question about the mysteries of our life when we get to heaven, if they still are even questions whenever we see him. Do you have a mystery bag? I do. A few questions, I'll just kind of drop them out, probably embarrassed, drop my bag somewhere on the way in. So what do you do when you have a confused view of God? When you don't understand Christ, you're right there where the disciples were. You didn't know you were in such heavy company, did you? <laughs> you didn't know that you're in real company with real people. Psalm 61, verse 2 and following, I break into verse 2, it says this, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety. You are my refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. The enemies of my mind, the enemies of my body, the enemies of my soul. Verse 4 says, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. That's where I want to be. And that's an image of the scripture, as the Lord would say, as a hen gathers the chicks, so I'll gather you. You know, they were the forest fire in one of the national parks. And one time they found a burned uh, bird, mother bird, pretty good sized bird. They found this bird burned over. And they just kind of nudged her over, and out came a number of chicks. She had given up her life. And Jesus did the same thing for you and for me. You've got to listen much faster. I'm very long-winded today. The disciples doubled down with their trust in Christ. Notice in verse 27, because they're doing exactly what the Lord wants them to do, he knows exactly where they are. Now, he always knows where we are. But he exactly knows where they are because they're exactly doing what he's asked them to do. Are you doing what he wants you to do today? Most of us know what he wants us to do. We just don't always want to do it, right? Sometimes I face that battle myself. They saw him and thought it was a ghost, but they hear his voice. You know, sometimes when my reality of who I think he is is distorted, I pick up the scriptures and I start reading it. And one thing COVID has done is brought me back deeper into the word than I even had been before. I study it every week, and most of the time pretty deeply. <clears throat> but it brought me back to a new personal appreciation, not just for messages, but for personal care help. So I could grow a little bit more and be strengthened in ways I wasn't. And you know what I find out? It takes those distorted thoughts we have of Christ and brings them captive to what is the reality of the scriptures. 
The truth of the scripture, if you use a carpenter's term, is a plumb bob. You know what that is. You have a weight at the end of a string, you hold it up, and it shows you the straightness, right? That's what a plumb bob is. And the scripture is that. And so I adjust my sail to fit in line with what he's saying. See, that's the beauty of reading when I've asked you to join me in reading. Just, just join in reading, you know, because we learn something, right? We grow. And this is a beautiful thing for us to be able to do as we do this. And so look what he says. He said to them, take courage. That means what it says. He says, take courage. Be strong. Be renewed inside yourself. He says, I want you to be at ease in your mind. He said, it is I. He says, now, whatever you think of me, whatever you know about me, you've seen me, you've heard me before. He says, it, it's me. I'm here. I'm with you. And I want to say to you that though the pain will not leave and you are still in your storm, Listen, you're still in your storm. You still have experienced, you can't unexperience it, the death of a loved one, the diagnosis has to be dealt with, the dismissal at work, whatever it was with the child, the habit that has to be broken. You've been in the middle of the storm, okay? It's got to be dealt with. But he says, he says, I want you to take courage. And sometimes he comes along to us and we want total deliverance. And what he says to you is, I want, I want you to take courage because I am with you. I am in your boat. I am in your situation. I'm enough for your, your situation. I can help you with this. Do not be afraid. You know, the do not fears of the Bible, I think there's one for just about every day in the scriptures. And so what he's saying to us is, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be scared. I want you to know in a pandemic, I want you to know when everything happened. You know, when I got COVID, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I ended up having a milder case of it, for which I am very humbled and very thankful. But I will say this. There was a moment in there where I said, God, I don't know what you're getting ready to do with this. I don't know which way it's going to go here. If it goes down into me and does whatever it does, I don't know what's going to happen. So I surrender my will to you, and I say, if you want to see me in a little bit, here I am. I'm ready to come. I guess he didn't want to see me now. <laughs> so here I am. But I'm good with that because I was able to, to really dive into this passage and to embrace what he's saying here with fresh thoughts and fresh newness of heart. And that's why I'm bringing you a fresh word from a very familiar passage. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, it says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My mom who is watching today, hello mom, she is watching, several of my family there, we welcome you. But I will say this, one of the very early verses that she helped me learn was this one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know another translation you can go with with that? I can listen to this. I can do every season through him who gives me the strength. I can do the season of raising kids. I can do the season of the loss of a spouse. I can do the season of old age. I can do every season through him who gives me strength. I can do the season when my, when my relative loses their capacity to think. I can do every season of life when I have to find new employment through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> Psalm 50 and verse 15 said this, Then call on me when you are in trouble. I will rescue you. And you will give me glory. I don't know what the rescue looks like. They still experience their storm. You'll still go through the death of a loved one. I have. You will. It will happen. In verse 32, I notice this. God is master of the storm. He didn't cause it. He did allow it through his sovereign plan, his permissive will, his inexplicable way. I don't know. He allowed it. Keep going, Kev. 
I'm a little long-winded, but it's okay. We move the service, next service back 15 minutes. I'm going to take about five or six of them. He says to the storm, be still. I don't understand all that's involved with Peter walking on the water, so I'm not even going to go there. That's beyond my understanding. All I know is that Jesus calmed the storm. You don't have to agree with everything that's happening with Jesus, but I tell you what, you still want him in your boat. <laughs> and I said to the person the other day who had two close loved ones die this week, I talked to him, I said to him, I said, listen, we still go to God. We still go to God even when we don't understand and don't agree. We still go to God. We do that. Katie Anderson and her husband had just married. She moved from Des Moines, Iowa to Billings, Montana to live with Steve. Her mother was still back in Des Moines, lived by herself. Her mother called and said, I have terminal cancer. It does not look good. I will be going pretty quick, it sounds like. Katie said, Mom, I want to be with you. But it was her first Christmas with Steve. And so she's thinking what to do. Steve and Katie talked about it. They bought a one-way ticket for her to go be with her mother in Des Moines. She flew out to Des Moines and was there, which meant they wouldn't be together at Christmas. The Christian people, and Steve went to church, and he said to his congregation, his friends, he said, you know, he just shared his burden. He said, I'd like to be able to be with my wife at Christmas. I'm not sure how that's going to work out under the circumstances. And he mentioned what was happening with the circumstance. <coughs> Someone caught wind of it. They had a Cessna plane, and they would take flights for fun. It was a small plane. They were a good pilot. They know how to navigate. And they said, I'd be glad I'd be glad to take you. I could go the 23rd and get you there by Christmas. Steve said, really? He arranged to get off work. He was able to do that. And so they boarded the little plane, just the two of them, Joe the pilot, Steve being able to be delivered now to his wife and to his mother-in-law. He calls ahead and says, I'm going to be able to be there after all. Meet me at the airport, the municipal airport. It was out in Des Moines. Would you meet me there? She says, of course. Joe and Steve take off. Somewhere near Pierre, South Dakota, all the instruments went blank. Not the best feeling. They were able to navigate the plane down. It was tense. It was scary. They were really sweating it out. It ended up being a fuse that had to be changed, so they changed the fuse. Have you ever needed to change a fuse? Something in your life not working? Something not right, working right in whatever you're thinking should happen? You have to change the fuse. All the instruments go blank. They had to change the fuse, so they did. Called his wife, said, I'll be an hour later. But we're on our way again. They took off. So they left Pierre. Somewhere as they were moving over toward Des Moines, an incredible fog came over the hills and the mountain areas. Joe said, man, I've flown in this area before a lot of times, and I have not had this problem before. It's crazy what's happened with the fog. And it seemed like just like that, the fog just engulfed them completely, and they could not see a thing. They knew they were getting close to the municipal airport in Des Moines, and so he radioed and said, hey, we're in your area. I can't see you. I can't see a thing, 
but if you'll help us, we'll make it down. Can you see us? They said, we want you to return to Pierre. Our airport is closed. It is not open for any airplanes to land here. We cannot help you. What would you have done? Joe did a smart thing. He looked down at the gas gauge and said, uh, I don't have enough gas to get back to Pierre. And he said to the radio, I don't have enough gas, enough fuel to get back to Pierre. We have to land. In just a little bit, a calming voice came on. And the calming voice said, pull up, pull up, pull up. They pulled up, pulled up, pulled up. The voice says, I see you. And said, now I want you to go down. I want you to go down a little bit more. Go a little bit to the left. Come a little bit to the right. You're now over a strip. Get prepared to land. They landed, and they were so excited. They were sweating bullets, man. It was a scary moment. It was as tense and quiet there as it was in here. Probably more. They were absolutely just like, sheesh, how in the world did that happen? He could see through the fog. Steve could, and he saw Katie. He waves. They get out of the plane. He runs over to her and gives her a big hug. This will be the first Christmas together, and they get to be together. He's excited. Joe and he met up there just for a minute, and they offered a quick thanks to God prayer. And then Joe said, I want to go talk to the people that helped me out. I want to go talk to the people that were in the tower that actually got us here. So he went on into the little airport and he said, I want to thank those people that helped us get here. They turned and looked at him and said, who are you? He said, I'm the guy that talked to you and you told me to go back to Pierre. They said to him, sir, we lost all contact with you when we told you to return and go to Pierre. We didn't talk to you again. How are you here? He said, yes, you did. I heard the voice and I want to say to you today, I don't understand that mystery. Some of you don't have a, a clue where you are. The report says there's no way, but there's a God in heaven who says, I know where you are. And with a calming voice, he says, take courage, do not be afraid. It is I. I will take you to where you need to go. If you can hang on, he can get you there. He will make a way where there is no way. He's that kind of God. I know I have tested him and trusted him, and I've said to him, if you've got this kind of track record, I can trust you the rest of the way. So I've given him the best of my life, and I have given him the rest of my life. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Even though we don't like everything, we say, God, I'm still on your team. You're stuck with me. Lead me through. He knows the way we take, Job said. And when he's tried us, we'll come forth as gold. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. <clears throat> That you are with us and you've given strength for this hour. We love you. We appreciate everything you are about in our life because we know that somehow, some way, beyond our understanding, you do work all things together for good. And Lord, among this audience and throughout our three campuses, 72 people, 72 people that were either members or very close contacts to our churches have died and gone into your presence. So I know you know about BWC. And I can imagine they're smiling and chuckling if, they let, if you let them see into this service today when I'm doing my best to try to help out. And they're saying, keep going, Kev, keep going. And they're saying to their family members, hang in there, don't stop, it's worth it. Lord, I pray you'd give us the same kind of strength 
that you provided even to them that will lead us all the way through. And no matter what is thrown at us, we will stay committed. Let's stand together.